This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, it's Wednesday the 16th of August. I'm Andrew Harrison. Keeping the seat warm for Miranda Sawyer, he'll be back on Monday with a selection of saucy postcards that she picked up on holiday in the land of ooh-la-la. Welcome to Paper Cuts, where we scour the shelves for the trickiest takes, the most spectacular scoops, and the plain weirdest angles that the British press has to offer. You can get us mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Follow us on your favourite app and you'll get every episode automatically just in time for your lunchtime break, whether it's an escape from the office or just a wander into the kitchen. Here's today's main stories. It's KGBT Pride Month. Three Bulgarians arrested on charges of spying for Russia and they live in North Holt. Kangaroo Court. Low-down Aussies engage in dirty tricks down under to lend Lionesses tactics for the World Cup semi-final. And, sticking with the Antipodean theme, Roop Doggy Dog. Media mogul Murdoch has yet another girlfriend at the age of 92. Is 15th time the charm. All this and more in Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, where we look at the absolute state of the fourth estate, its obsessions, its vendettas, and occasionally the moments of genius that keep us reading. Joining us today to read the runes in tomorrow's chip paper, we have regular guest, author, historian, and screenwriter, Alex von Tunzelman. Hi, Alex. Hello, good morning. And making his Paper Cuts debut. It's TV comedy writer, co-creator of documentary legend Philomena Kunk and the Ladybird Books for Grown-Up series, Jason Hazley. Hello, Jason. Morning. Glad to have you here. Now, this is one of those rare days when almost all of the papers agree on what the big story is. And it's a it's a doozy, isn't it? It's the spies, Alex. What have we got? It's spies and it's, you know, secret spies found in Britain, Russian ones. Yes. I mean, secret it's spies. got everything. They are the worst kind. It's got kind. everything. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, actually, that is a thing because <laughs> yeah. these spies are... Illegals, as in undercover, uh-huh. rather than declared ones at mm. a diplomacy, you know, at yeah. an agency or something like that, um, uh, at the embassy. Um, so we've got the Guardian has gone with Bulgarians suspected of spying in UK for Russian security services. So quite sort of straight Guardian yeah. take. Bit of detail as well, Bulgarians. Yes. Yeah. The Mirror's gone with the spies next door, uh, which is you know the sort of scary. It's in your backyard. <laughs> yes. Mirror take. Yes. They never mowed their lawn. That they kind didn't. Of thing. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, you know, they kept themselves to themselves. That mm. sort of thing. Uh, Daily Telegraph has gone with Russia's Northolt spy ring arrested. Uh, Bulgarians suspected of espionage had links to a house a mile away from RAF base used by the royal family. They could get to Kate. They could get to Kate. Right. It's possible. So that's the Telegraph's uh, big angle on that. The Times has gone with Russian spies accused of posing as journalists. But crucially inside <laughs> indicates its take, which is grubby guest house in Great Yarmouth was seaside spy HQ for Russian 007. Grubby guest house. That's quite uh, le carré, that, isn't it? Very, Grubby guest house. Very, yes. you Muffy know, and dirty. And it looks fine from the pictures. Um, and the Daily Mail has gone with spies who came in from suburbia. Of course, the Daily Mail loves the suburbia angle. Bulgarians living in Harrow and Great Yarmouth face trial after county espionage arrests amid fears they worked for Russia. So the kind of subtext there is this is what happens if you let Bulgarians live near you in your lovely suburban kind of curtain-twitching neighbourhood. Absolutely, where they're going. Absolutely. Jason, uh, you've got stuff. There is other non 
spy material available on the newsstands today, is there? There is, yeah. The Sun has uh, predictably gone for the lionesses with a big front page reading, Let's Waltz Past the Matildas. Not bad, actually. Well done, everyone, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Star has gone for a, a somewhat left-field story about uh, a historian who has found some graves of the fabled Knights Templar. Um, in an English churchyard, um, but because that's not a very star story, they've um, hooked you in with the headline, The Da Vinci Code, I've Cracked It, Mate. <laughs> and there's a fantastic story in the front of the FT. Only on this podcast do we go from the start to the FT. Really interesting thing about AI and essentially mind reading. Yeah, effectively. This is an extraordinary story on the front page of the FT about how AI has been taught to read EEG scans of people who were listening to Pink Floyd and then recreate the Pink Floyd. Right. So, and this is, that sounds, that sounds trivial perhaps, but it's not. What it's hoping is that if, if AI can read EEG scans of the sound of people's voices and the way they talk, then maybe this technology could be applied to people who have trouble speaking, yeah. which would allow them to voice their thoughts. So this has basically read a person's internal jukebox as it plays another brick in the wall yes. and been able to recreate it through speakers. Yes. Incredible. Hey, AI, leave my brain alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's get deeper into that spy story that has been an absolute godsend to the papers in these dog days of summer. Alex, give us a bit more detail of what's gone on here. Well, so uh, this is the arrest of three Bulgarian nationals. They were arrested in February. Um, mm. We're only just finding out about this story now. Um, they've been charged with various offences. Uh, the three that they've named here are all in Rusov, 45 from Great Yarmouth, Norfolk. Uh, Zambazov. 41, of Harrow, uh, and Katrin Ivanova, 31, also of Harrow, or Northolt, as some of the other papers are having it. Um, and effectively, these people have been living in the UK, working in a variety of jobs. Uh, there's all sorts of interesting details, such as uh, they had, you know, one of them had a Facebook page, but no Facebook friends. Suspicious. Well, I mean, I've, I've got no friends. I mean, so exactly. I it's, it's a great deep cover. Yeah. Um, and who uses Facebook anyway? Um, and then there's sort of LinkedIn, but their LinkedIn didn't feature a photograph or sort of describes various jobs they did. There's one where it says, Zambayov delivered blood. <laughs> they say in a very in a as one of his jobs, um, turns out to be rather less uh, terrifying than they're trying to make it sound. But there's lots, you know, there isn't actually much in terms of detail here. Mm. Um, well, there's a lot of coverage, isn't there? The, there's the, a the lot. Inverse proportion to the amount of stuff they've well, actually got to that's say. That's what's so glorious about it is that because all the all the press have got is the is the basic headlines and the three photo uh, the three photographs, um, which they stare out from the front of the Times, looking like if N Dubs were estate agents or something. <laughs> um, so because they've got no detail, they've just dug everywhere they can to find mm. everything they can about. It this has story. been quite impressive, hasn't it? The amount of shoe leather journalism going on here. They've yeah, chip shops and news agents and all kinds. There's been, they've, they've been to so the press has been to Great Yarmouth and they've interviewed the same guy who owns a cafe there, who's told, who told one paper that uh, what their breakfast order was, how they like to have uh, four rounds of toast. Um, uh, the, uh, the same the same guy was interviewed elsewhere and he said, I don't know why they'd come to Yarmouth. There's nothing here. <laughs> um, which is uh, not a great advert for Yarmouth. Um, There's a fantastic headline on the inside of the Telegraph, though, isn't there? The Telegraph's headline, yeah. He said he worked for Interpol, then he put a satellite dish facing the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now, is that like, I don't know how to put my satellite dish up, or is it like, this is a signal to my handlers of, of tradecraft? I mean, maybe, yeah. Maybe it's like the uh, pot plant on the balcony and all the president's yeah. men, you know? Or maybe he just wants to get Russian football. Yeah, true. 
So yes, but if uh, there, it's, a, it's a warning to anybody who sees their neighbour putting up a satellite dish facing the wrong way, it's careful. Probably could... a spy. Well, doesn't that mean that literally every satellite engineer in the country is a potential spy? Because <laughs> they're always putting them in the wrong direction, <laughs> in my experience. The, the sun also, I have to take my hat off to the sun for this, in, this uh, two-page spread inside. What have we got here, Jason? Okay, the sun is leading with the headline from Russia with loaf Mm -hmm. because the couple of the three spies um, used to bake bread for their neighbours and pies and things. They didn't go for the pie who loved me, obviously, which is (laughs) a massive waiting to happen. Mm. Um, My favourite bit of the story... No, no, I'm sleeping on that. You've missed the best bit. Flip it over. You've got the recipe for how to bake spy cake. Oh, yes, spy dish. Mm. Okay, um... The loaves baked by the alleged spy couple may be kozunak, a sweet bread made in Bulgaria at Easter. There you go. I mean, maybe. 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 It's literally a cake with a file in it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Full of USBs and things like that. My absolute favourite bit of coverage is from the star, who have given us six great facts about Great Yarmouth, <laughs> including that the fish finger was invented there, um, the uh, the first speed camera in the UK was sighted there, and also the astonishing fact that Great Yarmouth exports spaghetti to Italy. Does it? Apparently. Wow. Who knew? I, well, we know now. That's well, a, this is what spies get you. Facts like this, you see. Yeah. If you want more kind of serious coverage, the places to turn to are definitely The Times and The Guardian. The Guardian's got a really useful piece uh, which you can find on the website as well from Sean Walker, who's uh, one of their correspondents who spent a lot of time in Russia. So he sort of breaks down a little bit more about the background. So these sorts of agents, these illegals as they're called, you know, are often masquerading as being a nationality other than Russian mm. turn out to be Russian uh, or you know they're posing as you know they could be Bulgarian I mean I suppose it'll all come out in good time um, but it's similar to so basically there are three Russian security services the, the FSB is the domestic one so that's the one Putin used to run that's mm-hmm. where he came up through previously the KGB and all of that the one people have heard of but there's also the SVR which is the foreign service and the uh, GRU which is the military intelligence and so the people for instance who poisoned Sergei Skripal with Novichok were GRU so it's not clear from the reports I don't think we even know which branch we're talking about but you know as I say at the moment they really are sort of scrabbling around for any details to make this yeah. story more fascinating Well the interesting thing as well is as you said that we, they, we were discovered in February and Details like this are not released by accident. There's, there'll, be, there'll, be, there'll be the legal pathway where they're being prosecuted, but also the signal aspect. Is this, I mean, okay, we're speculating wildly here, but in the world of espionage, this kind of thing is usually a signal to the other side. We know what you're doing. You don't roll up a spy network unless you're much deeper into it, because the minute you start to take people off the streets, they immediately know that their network's been compromised. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's interesting why we're hearing about this now. And again, yes, there will be a context for that because, as we know, they were arrested February and they're actually not going to be going to trials until January. Mm-hmm. So why now are we hearing about this? Quite possibly for a reason like you suggest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it really would be just speculation. But yeah, I mean, there's no kind of specific reason. Although I must say the newspapers must be completely delighted because this is something to put in their pages Yes, that has happened. Yes. Um, Jason... You write comedy. Has this got the smell of a sitcom about it? Three spies in a what is it? A grubby guest house in grubby Great guest Yard? house. Yeah. Well, there was not. There was a night that nice angle about the spies next door. That might be a way of doing it, I suppose. But no, the but spies in a spy in Great Yarmouth doesn't doesn't feel like great comic territory for me. Not like the Americans, but funny and in Great Yarmouth. 
Oh, I see what you mean. Yes. Well, yeah. But I suppose you. I think. Hot prob- pitch, Andrew. <laughs> you wouldn't leave with it. <laughs> um, there may be. Um, I quite like the fact that the the, the 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 couple were living in Harrow, but it keeps being referred to as Northolt. Because obviously, you, what your brain puts in front of the word Northolt are the letters R A F. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, I'm really puzzled about this story. I wonder whether is our D notices still a thing? Could this have been subject to a six month D notice or something, so that it suddenly possible. pops out now? Yeah. I don't know. I'm guessing probably you're you're probably more accurate about this, Alex. There's something strategic about. I think they used a lot less than people think. Um, but I mean, you know, in terms of, it is a good question why this story is being kind of you know has sort of come out now. And it, I mean, it must be some sort of signalling, obviously. There's all sorts of things ongoing with yep. spies that we simply don't know exactly why strategically somebody's decided to say this at this point. Have we? Uh, we we mustn't overlook the lovely detail that um, all in Rusev uh, had 007 in one of his email addresses. I think that's like clever double reversed. Good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Hello, I am a spy. <laughs> oh, that means he's not a spy. I mean, some of these guys really fancy themselves, don't they? They really do. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sticking with murderous international rivalries where both sides will stoop to anything to frustrate their enemies, England's Lionesses face the Matildas of Australia in today's women's football semi-final in Sydney. We don't know the score yet. It hasn't even kicked off when we're recording. And there have been dirty tricks, haven't there, Alex? Yes, we've got a story on the front page of The Times. Australian flyover tries to put wind up Lionesses. Uh, So an Australian newspaper flew a helicopter over a training session for the England women's football team in an attempt to reveal their strategy ahead of today's World Cup semi-final. Um, and the newspaper is extremely unapologetic about it. The Australian Daily Telegraph. We've sent the chopper up to see how the old enemy are preparing. Welcome to the jungle, lionesses. We've got fun and games. Ruining the rhythm of the Guns N' Roses song there. Absolutely. So does this mean that women's football has finally arrived because it's as mired in horrible shithousery as the men's game? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is completely unapologetic, dirty tricks here. Although, to be fair, we have to say that's coming from the newspaper, not from the Matildas, not yes, from the Australian yes. women's team. Yes. Um, well, I mean, this is, you know, events like this, the international football stuff is where the tabloids come into their own. And they, you know, they, they're quite new to it with women's football, aren't they? Because the kind of, you know, the cliches of big men's games, you know, that, you know, everything like the horrible act on surrender, surrender thing from 1996, that tone is not really being hit. But what they have done, of course, the Daily Mail have gone straight in with using this as an excuse to print a picture of two women's footballers in bikinis, mm-hmm. um, you know, as next to the idea of dirty tactics. Uh, so we've got Aussie striker Caitlin Ford with England's Jordan Nobbs um, looking like they're having quite a nice time. But yes, of course, big picture of women in bikinis. Tabloids love that. Yeah. Um, the Sun's got quite a good back page headline, hasn't it? 
It's not bad, is it? Pomegranate. Oh, right, Ooh. yes. Yeah. So what's it referring to? It's referring to uh, the uh, skipper Millie Bright saying, um, uh, we're bang up for this, we've experienced moments like this, tense environment, big stages, big crowd. We thrive in those moments and it gives us energy. There you go. Um, I thought the mirrors pull-out was um, quite surprisingly bullshit. It was, this is your last waltz, Matildas. This is a bit harsh. You know, ah. this is supposed to be the joyous moment of coming together. Uh, women's football is not like men's football. Well, as you say, this is a, we're, we're living through a time of evolving cliche now, aren't we? Mm. Because we haven't quite arrived at it yet, like you were saying about men's football. So, yeah. you know, we have to... They're, they're seeing how far they can take things. Yeah. Um, she, the, by the way, the Sun says on the front page um, about watching it today at 11am, at work, we're sure your boss won't mind. Hmm. This is the same newspaper that railed against the, the fluffy evils... Quote of working from home. <laughs> yeah, well, f- football from home is fine. Yeah. <laughs> so do we do we think that um, you know are are the papers getting uh, coming to terms with the women's game and the fact that it is actually you know there 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 are clear differences in the culture of it. It's not that you know I love football but I hate the nastier end of you know being able to you know read foul stuff the minute you look at social media. Have the have the papers probably got their heads around that? Do you think? Um, I mean, it's evolving, as you say. It seems, you know, what we are seeing is certainly much more coverage of the women's game than we've seen in the past, which, Mm. you know, in many ways, obviously, is a very good thing. And many of us are very happy about. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, that doesn't come completely... with positivity only, that's yeah. always going to be a bit of a mixed bag. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's probably still finding its way, this coverage. And I think the way the press are treating it is still finding its way, but it's moving pretty fast. Well, by the time listeners hear this, the, the result will be in. And we hope that everybody will enjoy the moment of international togetherness and friendliness and sporting um, sporting cooperation in which we smash the Matildas to pieces, humiliate <laughs> them, crush them, and Australia will never, ever dare show its face again anywhere. I'm a New Zealander, so you know, is there a way they can both lose? Absolutely. So what's, what are the headlines tomorrow if we lose, Jason? If we lose? Rue the day? Rue the day, yeah. I think if we win, it's Wallaby starting something. Hey, nice. <laughs> and that brings us to headlines. As regular listeners know, we are clinically dependent on the high-class newspaper headline on this podcast. In every edition, we spot the finest examples of the headline writer's art in our eternal quest to find something that measures up to the Sun's 2013 story about Manchester City star Carlos Tevez being sentenced to 250 hours of community service for driving offences. The headline was, Don't Cry For Me, RG Cleaner. Now, what are today's (laughs) candidates for the Hall of Fame? Jason, what have you got? Okay, well, a health minister has dismissed calls to ban cartoon characters from some cereal boxes, Mm -hmm. which the Mirror is covering under the headline Snap, Crackle and Stop. Didn't that um, catchphrase stop being used about 100 years ago? About that, yeah. 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 Um, The Star also uh, has the same story with Coco Clots, so they're clearly against it. And there's also a reference to cancelling Tony the Tiger. No. That's grim. Um, and the star also has a belter um, about nudists, apparently. It's, well, I mean, it's not so much of a belter, but it's not. So <laughs> it's a lack of belter. Naturists yeah. in Catalonia want the government to stop the hordes of tourists in swimwear invading their beaches. And the headline is, nudists will not bear it. Very good, very good. I need to tell you uh, that... Among the naturist community, this is not in the papers, I just happen to know this. Among the naturist community, the derogatory term for people who wear clothes is textiles. Dirty textile. Good Lord. Alex, what have we got? 
Well, uh, again from the Star, repository of all good headlines, we've got um, a, a story that oysters are facing wipeout. Oysters could become the dodos of the sea because of overfishing. Boffins warn the Star, always getting boffins, <laughs> boffins. into yeah. any story it can. The story is about sort of the possible extinction of various marine species, and we've got the headline, Shell Shock. I would have gone with the clam before the storm. Oh, but, nice. Uh, fix the headline. Yep. Yes, well, don't forget to fix the headline. <laughs> bye, bye, Valve. <laughs> bye, 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 Valve. It's oh, really good. Very, I'm very nice. Very impressed by that one. Um, um, and Jason, you've got something quite extraordinary in the Telegraph. This is the, for anybody who remembers the day to day, this is the Chris Morris You What headline. Now, you need to just read the headline, and then we're going to have to explain what the hell's going on. Is this in the right place still? It looks like oh, it's okay? knocked. Yeah, it sounds fine, but just okay. push it towards. Oh, it's wobbling its own accord, yeah. Oh, I see. So, the headline is, ready for this? Pea Soup River Y is too unclean for the Virgin Mary. Okay. <laughs> and what the hell is going on there? Okay, so it's a combination of two things here. One is, obviously, the river is dirty because mm-hmm. sewage in our rivers. The other yeah. is that down in Hay on Wye, there's an annual festival where an effigy of the Virgin Mary is launched from a bridge. Right. But it's too dirty for it to happen now. Okay, and who's saying it's too dirty? Who's saying it's too dirty? Uh, the Archbishop, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, apparently. <laughs> well, it's good to know that someone is paying attention because it can't be all Fergal Sharky, can it? It's, he's doing too much. It's yes, Lord Williams of Oystermouth. Yeah, there's bivalves. Back, well, back yeah. on the bivalves. Yeah. I don't know what's going on here. And Alex, you you have got a, a quality one in the sun. Yes, I've uh, got a full page on this, page seven in the sun, uh, which is that this morning host Holly Willoughby has been giving her fans advice on orgasms as she transforms into the UK's answer to Gwyneth Paltrow. Been uh, sending out her blog, uh, advising you to think about the sexy duke from Bridgerton. Apparently that'll help. Um, and the, the headline is This Moaning. <laughs> oh, God. If you read retired molecular biologist Elena Zhukova, 66-year-old ex-wife of a Russian oligarch whose daughter is married to Roman Abramovich, would you think A, new Bond villain, or B, new Rupert Murdoch girlfriend has dropped? Um, it is the latter. The lovelorn 92-year-old from the land of the Billabong has been through four <laughs> wives and after last-minute nerves about marrying the somewhat over-religious American Anne Leslie Smith, he is now reportedly stepping out with the mysterious Russian. And the Telegraph is wallowing in it, isn't it, Alex? They've, it's front page of the features section with an amazing graphic of various ex-wives uh, in, in hearts floating around Rupert's lovelorn visage. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, it's quite the feature in the Telegraph Features section. We've got, you know, the front page and then a double page spread on this. Um, And obviously, this is all part of a bit of media jostling because, you know, you've got the Times, of course, is owned by Rupert Murdoch, Telegraph, big competitor of the Times. So we've really dug in here. Uh, and, and, you know, quite viciously with a sort of countdown of his previous wives or in the case of Anne Leslie Smith, you mentioned nearly a wife engaged, but then the engagement broken a couple of weeks later. Um, and so it's sort of full of you know, basically bitchy <laughs> lines, you know. Uh, so, for instance, the pull quote, when he's in between wives, his team have to babysit him, keeping him company. Rupert hates being alone. He enjoys the romance. So sort of really trying to 
portray him as a sort yeah. of pathetic child. It's 92. The intro is one of the most incredible, hilarious shoehorns I've read. It's like when he met his first wife, Heartbreak Hotel was in the charts and Rupert has checked into Heartbreak Hotel many times over the years. It's like yeah, kind of I mean, really sound. elbowing it in. And, and of course, they've gone through wife by wife. <laughs> Um, and, you know, and they've given us a lovely timeline so mm. you can see pictures of all the wives with a sort of steadily ageing Rupert mm. beside them. So it turns out from this piece we also learn that uh, the third Mrs Murdoch, Wendy Deng, who a lot of people will remember, um, it says... As chess-up lines go, it probably would have worked only on Murdoch. Why is your business strategy in China so bad? The 30-year-old Star TV executive asked him at a Q&A in Hong Kong in 1999. They married shortly afterwards, following a rare 17-day bachelor period for Murdoch. 17-day bachelor oh, period. A rare 17-day bachelor period. Um, yeah, I mean, they're really kind of digging in here in a big way. And, of course, Jerry Hall also remember So, you know, all been detailed, all kind of through here. But, yeah, I mean, this is absolutely a piece of media jostling. What, what is it that attracts women to multi-billionaire Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> oh, well. He's 92-year-old with good, good looks. I oh. mean... I mean, either that or, you know, uh, we're back to another spy story. <laughs> I, I just don't want to think about this man's sex life, and especially not on the front page of that pullout there, the photograph of him. He's now reached an age in life where his face looks like a collection of testicles. And <laughs> I just don't want to think about this man doing anything with a lady. I'm sorry, I think it's very ageist. Or, you know, I mean, why shouldn't a 92-year-old enjoy a, a fabulous sex life with an age-inappropriate 66-year-old partner? Yeah. After just... a 17-day period of bachelordom. He's just looking for Ms. Wright. I mean, there's a great... I mean, if I can find it in here, there's a, a fantastic line from this. It's a, he's got the energy of people half his age, a source told Drudge Report, and he might just be in love again. That sounds like I mean, kind of... I'm half his age, and I don't think I've got that much energy. <laughs> That's the kind of thing that gets read out over, the, over, a, over a movie trailer. He's got the energy of someone half his age. Pause, and he's in love again. <laughs> So, Jason, who's the real winner here? Is it whoever writes the private eye romance column? Oh, God. Yes, it is, <laughs> Of course it? it is. Of course it is, yes. Mm. The one little bit of humanity that you see this is that it seems like clear that Jerry Hall really was in love with her and she was really, like, shocked and to be bundled out of whatever gigantic, you know, compound the yeah, Murdoch's Well, there was in. an extraordinary Vanity Fair piece a yeah. few months ago that really dug into that, which I very much advise people to look up if you haven't read it. It's quite the read. Do we think he can squeeze in one more wedding before he goes on the great walkabout in the sky? I mean, so he's had five weddings. Four. Four weddings. One was, in, one was in very nearly. Four weddings and one near wedding. OK, hang on. No, four weddings. What he needs now is a funeral. Is a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not getting invited, are we, clearly? <laughs> It's not just the front pages where the good stuff is to be found in the great British press. It's down in the depths of the papers, the nibs, the features, the lifestyle stuff. And, of course, these slightly off, uh, off the main road news stories, such as the ongoing tale of, I think, what we can call podcast favourite, Hannah Ingram Moore, daughter of my father, Captain Sir Tom Moore. There have been further developments, haven't there? 
I'm Alex. afraid there have, yes. Um, this is the daughter of the late Captain Sir Tom Moore, Captain Tom, who, you know, many of us kind of watched during the pandemic, raising all this money. Um, and you know, this story is, according to a BBC Newsnight investigation into her, um, she was a judge at awards ceremonies featuring the Captain Tom Foundation charity in 2021, 2022. Um, and according to the BBC Newsnight investigation, her fee for attending these events, which was believed to be thousands of pounds, was paid not to the foundation as a charitable donation, but to the Matrix Group, which is a company owned by her and her husband, Colin. Um, and it seems that the BBC, there's the best detail is the BBC emailed her asking about these allegations and she immediately replied, you are awful, it's a total lie. Six minutes later, another email from her said, apologies, that reply was for a scammer who has been creating havoc... <laughs> I don't just like being of a certain age. Hey, saying you are awful just immediately makes me think of Dick Emery. You know, <laughs> oh, you're awful. You are awful, but I like you. Um, also, <laughs> in the Times, we have uh, something for our rich people doing stupid shit files. Don't we? My, <laughs> the bulging my, rich. My people. absolute favourite category of Times story is rich yes. people doing stupid shit. Um, and here we have this is in uh, in New York, or more specifically in the Hamptons, which is where ah. fancy New Yorkers go for the summer um, out in Long Island. Uh, and this story is about workout classes hosted by Tracy Anderson, who is a sort of yoga guru who made her name as a trainer for Madonna, Gwyneth Paltrow, Victoria Beckham, all these various people. So if you would like to join her Hamptons yoga class, that will cost you $900 a month to join. But it doesn't end there. More importantly, if you want to reserve a good yoga mat in that class, that is going to cost you an extra $5,500 to reserve your mat for the season. What, to like just to get your space? Just to get your spot. Can't you get up at six o'clock in the morning and throw a towel down like that we've been reading about British tourists doing in the Med? Well, one member said that the problem is that if by mistake you go to a mat that is not your mat, Andrew, um, you may have someone <laughs> screaming at you because, okay. of course, they've reserved them. So now they've all been pre-reserved. So the towel on the sunbed is kind of metaphorical and very expensive. So this is yoga, which is supposed to make you calm and serene and not scream at people. <laughs> They're all screaming at each other about the five grand yoga mats. I mean, it's working marvellously. What can we say? Absolutely. So we've got five... hot yoga and now we've got narky yoga. Yeah. <laughs> $5,000 to sit on the floor. 5500 5500 Yeah. And probably there's a gratuity involved as well. Oh, God, yes, you have to be tipping people, won't you? I would pay £5,000 not to do yoga. <laughs> Jason, you've got the angle of the... You've got... This is golden shoehorn. This is how to squeeze your newspaper's agenda into an otherwise not particularly relevant story in The Telegraph. Right, so this is uh, The Telegraph. This is about District Attorney Fanny Willis in Georgia, who is prosecuting... Uh, Trump and about 17 associates, I think, um, under the RICO Act, which is fantastic. She is a very well-known um, attorney. Um, she's very successful, and she's and she's uh, already mounted 11 successful RICO prosecutions. But the Telegraph's headline is: Black Panther's daughter set her sights on toppling Trump. Now, that's not the first thing I would think. First, the main thing I thought was. Exciting Marvel spin-off, yeah. yes. <laughs> but get it right, Shuri is the sister, not the daughter. Get it right, the Telegraph. But actually, this is straight from a Trump campaign mail shot. It's, yes. it's just a hit job, isn't it? Yeah, there was, a, there was a, a Trump campaign mail shot put out a talking point saying that her dad used to be one of the Black Panthers. Yeah, so obviously that determines everything about her life. She has no yeah. personal independence. She has no opinions of her own. She's a Black Panther. Yes. Yeah, they actually headlined it in their email, a family steeped in hate. 
um, which is a pretty extraordinary uh, description of the Black Panthers, if you actually know anything about them. (laughs) Yes, quite a lot of projection. Um, But they've kind of gone into, they've clearly pulled this off the Fulton County government website, where Funny Willis herself says that her name is Funny uh, Taifa is her middle name, and that's a Swahili name. And she says that's because, well, my father was a Black Panther. He was very Afrocentric. So that's why he gave her this Swahili name. So they have taken that history and decided to turn that into the entire reason that she's going after Donald Trump, which is obviously absurd. They've also fictionalised the back half of the headline, set her sights on toppling Trump, where at the end of paragraph three, you will read that she hoped to avoid being drawn into one of the most remarkable cases in history. That's great. So when your own story contradicts your own headline. Fantastic. (laughs) There's also uh, quite an odd one in the Telegraph. Yes, another quite an odd one. Now, this is another one where you might just want to read the headline and then we can all just like scratch our heads. Good luck, studio. Raccoons may not be Nazis, but they like a beer and causing trouble. Okay, raccoons may not be Nazis. Yep. I don't know if anybody thought raccoons were Nazis, but whatever. No, no, but they may not be Nazis. So does this imply that Nazis like a beer and causing trouble, therefore if you like a beer and causing trouble, you're a Nazi? Um, What's really going on here is that there is a plague of raccoons in Germany um, and they're having to be culled. Um, now, the thing is that they are, they are, according to Bertolt Langenhorst of the nature organisation NABU, uh, and I'm going to give him uh, uh, Werner Herzog's voice here, mm. uh, raccoons are funny and clever and they like beer. <laughs> so that's the beer part of the headline. Um, And the causing trouble part of the headline is the fact that they need to be culled. But the Nazi part of it, raccoons, remember, may not be Nazis. It turns out that the animals were first brought to Germany in the 1920s when their fur was highly sought after, but the first pair were released into the wild at the beginning of the Nazi era. (laughs) Okay. Right? Now... I mean, this is pretty uh, thin ground. And it's going to get thinner. (laughs) Urban legend long held that Luftwaffe Suprema Hermann Goering personally ordered their release in his role as head of the Reich's hunting office. That version of events has recently been debunked by historians. <laughs> so again, the headline is, does not match the story because they are not Nazis and it wasn't Goering's idea to release them. They may not be Nazis. May There's not a whole be Nazis. Lot going on. I just like that. We don't, obviously, we don't know Raccoon's politics, so we, you know, we shouldn't really speculate. I, I just like the idea of Herman Goering going, release the raccoons. <laughs> And by the way, we don't like to neglect the local press, do we, Alex? And there is a a cracking front page on the Oxford Mail today. (laughs) Yes, the Oxford Mail, quite an extraordinary headline, which you have to read quite carefully to avoid libel um, (laughs) or misrepresentation. Elton Tribute had a kilo of coke in stage lighting and a big picture of Elton John. Um, we should just say that this is a tribute, so not Elton John. Elton John didn't have a kilo of cocaine in his lighting. An Elton John tribute act did. Uh, well, allegedly did. Allegedly yes. did. Um, Elton John himself did not, but there he is anyway, uh, staring out at you from the front of the Oxford Mail. Uh, it says, in fact, uh, part-time magician and singer, not Elton John, uh, denies knowledge of drugs found in A34 search of van. Obviously, the case continues, but if you were going to hide a load of cocaine... Dressing up as 1970s Elton John might not be the best way to divert attention away from yourself. <laughs> Brilliant double bluff. Forget what we know about 1970s Elton John and what he has said. <laughs> yeah. So obviously the case continues and allegedly and 
yeah, you're innocent until found guilty. I mean, and what we can definitely say is that actual Elton John did not have a kilo of coke in his stage lighting, even though there is a picture of him with this story. A picture of him still standing. Or, or maybe that is the tribute act and they're incredibly good is also possible, it's I suppose. A, yeah, it looks like a If that's a tribute act, it's a really good tribute it's act. It's really good. And that's your lot for today's edition of Paper Cuts. Thank you, Alex von Tunzelman. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your amazing debut, Jason Hazley. Uh, thanks, Andy. And by the way, I have finally, I found the um, the Great Yarmouth espionage sitcom. All right. S- Spidey High. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yes, make it so. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Hit that follow button and we'll be with you every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And if you really enjoyed it, tell a friend and then head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a full fat five star review. It will nudge us up the podcast charts and it will bring us to more people. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. Links are in the show notes where you can find out about what's happening with the podcast, but also our Fix the Headline competition every Friday, where we find a good story with a suboptimal headline. We put it on Twitter. We're not calling it X. And we put it on threads. And if you give us a better headline, you'll be in with a chance of winning a Paper Cuts t-shirt. I've been Andrew Harrison. You've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when the star informs us that a UFO is for sale on Facebook Marketplace. It is fitted with standard 37-speed propulsion and is capable of abducting up to 54 cows at once. (laughs) Watch the skies. We'll see you next time. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Andrew Harrison with Alex von Tunzelman and Jason Hazley. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The managing editor of news was Jacob Jarvis and the producer was Sophie Black. The music was composed by Simon Williams and the executive producer was Martin Boytosh. <laughs>